Well, since Russell read all of Philippians, la you know, recently, I, I didn't want to I didn't want to be outdone. So I'm going to read a book of the Bible, but mine's shorter. So uh, uh, apologies to Jude. You're going to hear your name a lot, bud, uh, during this sermon. <laughs> so um, uh, I'm not I'm not uh, calling on you or picking on you, just so you know. So. Uh, but uh, we are going to be looking at the entire book of Jude. We will be reading it, uh, and you can find it on uh, page 1027 in the Pew Bible. I will bring it up on the screen as well. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, uh, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves." Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy without fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So as we conclude our study in the book of Jude, and we've just read the entirety of this letter, we are going to consider broadly the major themes of, the, of what Jude aims to teach the church. And here is a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that comes from one who was uh, of the family, actually the earthly family of Jesus, uh, who writes a letter for the benefit of the church, and not just the church then, but the church today. This is very much a church letter dealing with church business. Jude addresses problems that threaten to tear the church apart, but from the inside. It is one thing to be attacked by outsiders, but when the attacks come from within, that's where real damage can be done. The letter is extremely helpful for us today as it reminds us, first, that there will always be problems in the church, and second, that we need to be careful in how we respond to these problems, and third, we must be very clear uh, about where our hope is rooted. And we'll look at each of those tonight. First, there will always be problems in the church. Uh, and we see this in uh, actually the first section of the, of the letter, in verses 1 through 5. And uh, the, as, um, the, the saying is, is the, only, uh, the only churches that have no problems are dead ones, right? So, uh, and so all churches, there will always be problems in the church. But some problems pose a greater danger than others. And as Jude makes very clear in this letter, false doctrine can derail gospel ministry. False doctrine can derail gospel ministry. Jude tells us at the beginning of his letter that he wants to talk about the gospel. He wants to talk about our common salvation, maybe get into some theology and doctrine, uh, perhaps how that applies to how we live as Christians in the world. But instead... He is confronted with the problems that the, these Christians are facing. And in response, he now finds it necessary not to write about their common salvation, but to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So what caused the change? What is it that caught his attention and set the alarm bells off for Jude? Well, he heard how certain men had come into the church and were convincing Christians under the guise of the gospel and under the guise of grace to engage in immoral behavior 
contrary to the commands of God. And so we need to see that ideas matter, as the old saying goes. They matter because they influence how we behave. But it's also true that how we behave influences our ideas, our thinking. Uh, we have to know that there is a connection between how we behave and what, uh, and what we think. And it, and it flows. It's a two-way street. It flows back and forth. False teachers appeal to fleshly desires, uh, the, the things that we want. They, 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 and then they rationalize them with gospel-type language. That's what false teachers do. There are parts of us that want this or that sin to be okay. And here is a guy with a PhD or a big ministry who's coming. He's telling me that it is okay, that it's fine. And he's giving me lots of reasons. He cited some verses, right? That he told some jokes. It was, it, you know, it sounded really good. Um, and so... And so, we, and so we have to understand that false teachers is kind of like it's, it's not, false teaching is a threat because it is appealing. False, we can't think of false teaching where somebody just comes in and they just, you know, they just came up and they're just talking about how, you know, they're just spouting offensive heresy at you. No, this stuff is actually appealing to us. It's appealing to us. We want, but there's a part of us that may want it to be true, that wants it to be true. And so our, our behavior that what our behavior does is it confirms our desires, whether they're godly or ungodly. We're acting on those desires, as James says, right? It, we have temptation that comes in, and then what do we do? It, we have a choice whether or not we're going to act on that temptation. We're going to act on that, whether we're going to take it in, we're going to make it ours, and then act on it. But likewise, we can also, we have a choice of whether or not we're going to take in a God, we're, we're going to uh, um, cultivate a godly desire and act upon that. And so there is this, again, there's this, we, I don't want to create a false dichotomy between, like a false separation between how we behave and how, what we think or what we believe. Um, or to say that only what we think and what we believe matters. Or that only what, what, how we behave matters. These things are intimately related to each other. And so it's, it's, it's not that we just, because um, there is a type of approach that says, well, if we just deal with what we believe and what we think, if we just get the doctrine right, then all the behavior will follow. There's some truth in that. There is some truth in that. If I'm dealing with someone who's not a Christian, I'm not going to run around chasing the fact, you know, chasing all their little sins, right? I'm going to be like, well, you take the Lord's name in vain there. You know, it's like, what's their biggest problem? They don't know the Lord. They don't care about the Lord, right? That's their biggest problem. So I need to address that, and then, and, then, and then Lord willing, if they become a believer, then yeah, Lord willing, a lot of those things will be taken care of. But that is not what Jude is saying here. He's saying, look, you have people who are professing Christians in the church that are engaging in immoral behavior. The thinking's got to change, and the behavior's got to stop at the same time. The type of stuff that he's dealing with isn't stuff that we're like, oh, it'll just work itself out kind of stuff. That's not what, he, that's not what we're dealing with here. And so you don't have to be a veteran of the ministry to understand how these kinds of issues could completely derail gospel ministry in a church and corrupt the faith 
of the church. As Jude's letter itself demonstrates what might have been forward progress in advancing the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan is, is now taken up with internal strife and corruption of the truth. But as we consider this problem, we need to make sure that we have the right response to this problem. And because we don't want to take this and, and embrace some kind of alarmism. Um, and so, so the first thing I want to say is that we need to, Jude wants us to be warned but not terrified. Be warned but not be terrified. There's no reason to become you know, just stranger danger with everybody that, you know, in the church, okay? There's no reason to become suspicious or terrified that the devil's around the corner um, or has the ability to destroy us. It is enough to take the warning seriously that Jude brings here um, and to endeavor to be faithful to the gospel call and to fulfill our task of proclaiming the grace of God to the world and passing it on to those who will come after us. Secondly, we need to be vigilant and not cynical. It's related to the, what I just said, but it's, we need to be vigilant but not cynical. Um, this is not a call for us to become pessimists, to, to believe that everyone in the church is just acting out of secret fleshly self-interest all the time, that we're the only pure motivator, you know, motivated one in the church, or that there's only a few. Uh, rather, we are called um, to outdo one another, Paul says, in showing honor to God and to one another. And in that, uh, in, in that we are called to vigilance because of the damage that sin like this, the false doctrine, false gospels, the kind of stuff that this, the, the damage that this stuff can do to the life of the church. But terrified cynicism leads to dead churches that, because no one wants to be a part of that. It's a miserable experience. But warned, healthy vigilance leads to a church that is joyfully but seriously taking up the fight of the faith, making use of the armor of God, and embracing the call to conquer the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. So this leads us to the bulk of the letter, which is all about how we respond to the internal problems in the church. Jude gives us two major responses in the body of his letter. And the first is very clear, is that we must look to the word of God as our standard. We must look to the word of God as our standard. Jude is applying in these, uh, mainly in verses 5 through 16, he is applying the examples of Scripture to the life of the church. The Old Testament is very relevant for Jude. He's, in effect, doing exactly what Paul said uh, that, and how we were, are to apply the Old Testament when he said in 1 Corinthians 10 that those stories, particularly about the wilderness, the unfaithfulness of the Israelites in the wilderness, he says those stories were warnings for the church, they're warnings for us that we would not grumble against the Lord, that we would not fall into similar sins and thus violate God's commands. For Jude, then, the Old Testament is not merely a divine history book, 
but is a book that reveals the will of God for the church today. Now, we, of course, understand the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, more, uh, more pointedly, uh, that we understand the Old Testament through the, uh, Christ the Messiah, who is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. Jude uses these scriptures to warn the church, to warn the church away from the alluring teaching of the false teachers. Like all sin, false teaching is appealing, or else it's not a problem. You know, I've, I've talked in the past about how we all have a... The temptations of the flesh are not all the same for us. There's sure, certainly, I'm sure, overlap. But we have a unique path of temptation that is laid out for us or approaches of temptation that come to us because there are things that would be tempting to you in sinfully that may, would not be tempting to me and 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 vice versa okay it's like you know if and if somebody if somebody ran up to me you know and was just like here have some cocaine you know i'd be like what like what's wrong with you i'm calling the police you know but to someone else they might really wrestle with okay right <laughs> Because they have different set of issues. Now, it's a, it's a ridiculous scenario, but I'm just giving illustrating the point here. In modern times, we what we see false teaching explicitly appealing to our pride through greed and the accumulation of wealth, through sexual immorality and the redefinition of terms like sin, immorality, and even concepts of gender. We see it through, the, uh, through by fostering unrighteous anger that excuse us to regard others with contempt and hatred. These false theologies produce the fruit of which Jude warns. They warp the minds and hearts of church members and in time, if left unchecked, the church itself. The examples given by Jude in the Old Testament and others that he doesn't mention are meant, are given to us, then there's not just only negative examples that are given to us, of course, but we are here. I mean, Hebrews 11 is a, is a positive example from the Old Testament, right? You have Abraham and you have all the, the different examples of faith. Those are positive examples from the Old Testament. Well, Jude is giving us the negative examples. And these examples and the other in, in, are meant to awaken us to awaken God's people from any grip false teaching may have upon our hearts that we would repent and tremble before the Lord in accordance with his mercy. One striking feature in this letter is Jude's clarity that it was in fact the pre-incarnate Jesus, the Lord, who was involved in bringing judgment on the Egyptians in the Exodus. And that it was Jesus who destroyed the disobedient in the wilderness. This lines up with the picture that we are given of Jesus in Revelation 19, where he returns and he will have the blood of his enemies on the hem of his robe as he conquers the world. The point is that Jesus is the Savior of the world who in mercy brings forgiveness of sin to all who come to him, but he is also the one who will judge the living and the dead. And bring the wrath of God to bear upon unrepentant sinners. 
These truths are not meant to irrationally terrify us, but to shake us out of any sinful stupor we may find ourselves that we may turn and follow the Lord once more. Those who would scoff at a Jesus who judges likely do not take sin very seriously, especially their own. It is Jesus, we are told in Revelation, who will snuff out a church's lampstand if it abandons the truth or love of God for long enough. It's not an angel. It's not Gabriel. It says Christ will remove the lampstand. But secondly, Jude tells us that we must care for one another in the church. So the first example is we must go to the word of God and take the warnings from the word of God seriously as, as his people. And secondly, and this comes in verses 17 to 23, he says that we must care for each other in the church. The apostles, we are told, uh, warned us about the problems that would be coming in the church through false teachers, that they would come, that they would have false teaching, and that they would have followers that would cause problems. Um, uh, in fact, actually, I knew um, uh, one of uh, I know a church planter who he uh, guy sh- guy showed up at his church uh, church plant, and as, I don't know if you know this about church plants, they want people to come. And uh, so and so the guy said, "Oh, I'm coming, and I, I've got 15 other people I'm going to bring with me." Well, something was a little off, so he went and he called around a couple different churches, and turns out this guy had a group of 15 of his buddies, and he would go in, and he would cause a whole mess of problems in every church. They had destroyed one church plant already, and had, come, and, and, and had made problems in other churches. And so the next time the guy came, so the church planter went to his session, told him what was going on, the session made a decision, voted, put in the minutes, and then when the guy showed up the next Sunday, He went to him and he said, you are not welcome here. You must leave. (laughs) And the guy made a fuss, uh, but they said, you are not welcome here. You need to leave. You cause schisms. You cause problems. You are a troublemaker. You need to leave. And he left. And he took his potential problems with him. So, um, but that's a guy who had a reputation for causing problems and causing schisms. Because he had a, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to take over the church plants. He was a false teacher, trying to weed his way in. But he was very excited to come in and get involved right away in the church and to help. He's here to help. So, but we might make the mistake here that thinking that Jude is calling for harshness, calling for extreme judgmental attitudes towards others in the church precisely the opposite because i'll say that that situation is the only time i've ever known of all the in 12 years and even in even in even years in the presbytery of all the friends i've known of all the all the teaching elders i've known i've only heard of that happening once and it was that time (laughs) so it's like that is a rare occasion where where you go to somebody and say you are not welcome here but if, if a church excommunicates someone from the, from the church, right, 
they are not welcome unless they return in repentance. And so, uh, and so that is, and that's because they are acting like an unbeliever and they need to repent. There's a particular way they need to return. But the way of, is open if they are repentant. And so this is not calling for harshness or judgmental attitudes towards others in the church. It's precisely the opposite. Jude tells us that we have a responsibility to build up one another in the faith. We're to pray with and for each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are to guard one another, he says, to keep one another in the love of God. Look, guarding and keeping one another in the love of God, it's, that, that, that's going to require not only encouragement, but sometimes correction. But always done in love, with the hope, with the, gut, with the idea, the, the goal of keeping that person in the love of God. And together, he says, we are to wait for the fullness of the mercy of the Savior, which brings eternal life. As for those who doubt, Jude says, especially for those who have fallen victim to the, 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 the bad theology of false teachers, we're to be merciful. To, to recover, he says, to, to, to recover those who have imbibed such doctrinal poison, to snatch them from the fire if we can. And, they, and that is done with pleading and tears and prayers. Yet we do all this, he says, with a healthy fear of God, hating sin, so that we would not fall into the same temptation ourselves. Jude is clear about our responsibility to care for each other in the church. As I mentioned you know, a moment ago, it's, it's not always hugs and kisses, Right? But it's not a kind of conceited, arrogant cruelty either. It is tender love that sacrifices and pains itself, attending to the wounds of other believers. It's praying for, interceding for those who have gone astray and, and, and who refuse to listen to counsel and biblical truth. It's bringing an encouraging word or sitting in silence with those who are afflicted and suffering. In the Christian faith, no man and no church is an island. We need each other. We are connected to one another. And we are called to care for each other. Finally, Jude tells us where we are to place our hope. Because for all this, the warnings that we must heed from uh, the scriptures uh, and, and the call to care for one another in the church, we must not ever think that success depends upon us. Um, rather, and, and there's a danger here, because if we become a church that, 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 that thinks that, the, that everything depends upon how we care for one another and how we keep everyone in the church, well, or it, it is very self-obsessive. Right? It becomes very self-obsessive. It can um, compromise doctrine and theology in order to keep people in people there if we become if it's if it's if our success depends upon our doctrinal purity and exposing false teaching within the congregation or protecting the congregation from the false teaching we become you know hardcore discernment ministry types and things like that uh, then we will fall into pride and 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 judge and judgment a judgmental spirit but our hope 
rather. We're called to do these things, but our hope, our assurance of success is not in ourselves, but is in the fact that as Jude closes his letter, that God will keep and he will guide us. We get into that doxology, that benediction at the end of the letter. We talked about this last week, that God will keep and he will guide us. God is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us to himself in glory. None of us has the ability to present uh, himself or herself blameless uh, you know, at the end of our lives in the presence of the holy God. We couldn't even do it at the end of the hour. By, you know, uh, by 6 o'clock, ain't none of us blameless. All right? Over the next three minutes, we ain't showing God that we're blameless. All right? We might even set a record for the number of sins we're about to do in three minutes. You know. But God is able. He is able. And he is willing. And he will see it through. So as we apply these lessons of scripture to our lives, as we, as we care for one another in the church, we do so in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit to make it work. We can guarantee nothing in ourselves. It is all of God. And all of this can be distilled into a single sentence, I think, of what Jude is getting at here and what he, where our hope is uh, in this letter. And that is in this sentence right here. That God has saved, is saving, and will save his church through Jesus. God has saved, is saving, and will save his church through Jesus. Everything we have as Christians, individually and corporately, is secured in the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Jude says. In carrying forth the will of the Father upon the earth and his cross and resurrection, he saved his church. He paid the price for our redemption. He received the wrath due for our sins. He established his pure righteousness and has given it and to us clothed his bride with it. It is that righteousness by which we are judged and deemed worthy of our eternal inheritance. In his resurrection and ascension, he now carries forth the will of the Father to uphold, govern, and protect his church against her enemies without and within. And as our catechism and, and our confessional standards are wont to remind us, he will do this until the very end. At the end, when we stand before the great judgment throne, our Savior will fulfill his promises to save his church, his promises of mercy, his promises to give us eternal life. He will save his church. As the church, we look around and we may at certain points all we see is weakness and need. We at times see corruption and apostasy. We see the church in every age assailed, if not by persecution and hatred, it is being corrupted by apathy and atrophy. But Jude calls the church to vigilance, to seriously apply the word of God to our life, to heed the warnings of scripture, to give serious care 
for the souls of one another and to encourage and strengthen each other that we may persevere. So in the end, let us lock arms together around this great truth, our great enduring hope that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we are strengthened by the Lord in, which is that God has saved, he is saving, and he will save his church through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the church is confronted by many problems, by those who hate the church outside of us, those in our own country who despise the church and wish it to be annihilated and destroyed, by false teaching and apostasy within the church, by immorality and hypocrisy in the church. And then there is just the experiences of the church in a fallen world where we fall short in, in sin, where we fall short, where, uh, where our bodies fail because they, they fall apart and they die. Lord, we know that if it's up to us to keep the church pure or if it's up to us to, to, to keep each other in the faith, to be, that it's up to us to, 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 uh, to do it all and to make it happen, then, then we're not going anywhere. We're not going to make it. But that is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom is our salvation, our certain hope of salvation. Because he is our Lord, because he is resurrected and ascended and reigning, because we follow him and he is our king, he calls us to be vigilant, to be watchful, to care for one another in this world. So, Father, we do pray that you would indeed purify your church, that you would revive your church O oh Lord, that you would purge from our midst every false doctrine, every errant thought, that you would do so by the ministry of your spirit, that you would do so through a greater and growing knowledge of your word, that we would grow not only in our knowledge of you, but our love and affection for you, and that as we do, we would care for one another encourage one another and strengthen each other in the faith. And Lord, we pray that you would give your church success. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in your son. And may your spirit continue to bless us and strengthen that hope until we come and see the, and, and see the fullness of our hope before, brought before our eyes in the person of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, let's